listening to the Cattle Station Classroom Podcast, where we learn about the North Australian beef industry and answer your questions. So it doesn't matter how far from town you are, because we're bringing the classroom to you. Welcome to the Cattle Station Classroom Podcast. In today's lesson, we are going to learn about a landscape rehydration technique called water ponding. To do this, I'll be joined by Jardine McDonald, the Program Manager for Rangelands Natural Resource Management in WA. Jardine is a hydrologist who comes from an environmental consulting and mining background and did research on groundwater recharge and catchment water balance dynamics in the Pilbara. Starting with rangelands in early 2019, he took up the project management role for the West Kimberley LCDC Smart Farms Grant Project, bringing soil back to life through water ponding, funded by the National Land Care Program. The West Kimberley LCDC set up this project with the collaborative support of Mel McDonald, previously from Rangelands NRM, and Matt Fletcher from DPIRD building on both Mel and Matt's water ponding work with Guru, Ray Thompson and Kimberley Station since 2009. As a part of this project, the West Kimberley LCDC also produced a video on how to build water ponds, which was uploaded to YouTube. There was also a webinar hosted with Future Beef, and I'll put the links to both of these in the show notes below. Jardine, today we're going to have an overview of water ponding. And water ponding is a solution to a problem. So I thought we should do the logical thing and start off by defining the problem. Yeah, thanks, Steph. A great place to start, but pretty big question. Um, look, let's start with what you can see. So water ponding is dealing with bare ground and specifically we're dealing with bare clay pan ground. It's often called a clay pan scald. And yeah, it's a rehab. Water ponding itself is a rehab intervention for that clay pan. Okay, so when you say a clay pan scold, what's wrong with that? Why don't we want those? And what do they, what do they even look like? Well, what do they look like? Um, so it's bare ground, um, and it's often eroded. So essentially, and this is something, so water ponding is essentially for duplex soils, generally speaking. So it's where you've got an A horizon that's been eroded away, uh, and you're left with your clay subsoil. So that's what they've got over east a lot where, um, Ray Thompson, g'day Ray, um, did all his work out there and, kind of central and western New South Wales. But yeah, essentially you've just got clay exposed and you'll notice that it's very crusty. It's got a crust on the top. It's sealed. Uh, it looks like a cement kind of, yeah, big hard stand just about. Um, not a plant in sight. Kind of like when you leave something in the fridge too long and you bring it out and it's not smooth like it should be and it's got that hard crust on top. Is that what sure. we're getting at? Sure, something like that, <laughs> something like that, Steph. Everybody loves my analogies. Check, check your fridge more often, Steph. Jeez, you feral. <laughs> Never said it was my fridge, mate. Oh, now, sure, why sure. why don't we want a crust on the surface? What is the uh, the consequence of having your your clay pan with that crust surface? Yeah, look, good question, Steph. And that's a great way to kind of delve deeper into it. Boom, all puns will be intended. Um, so look, what you're really dealing with and getting into the actual issue of what you're dealing with, uh, is compaction. Um, you're essentially clay pan schools are bare country that's suffering under that self perpetuating cycle of erosion, um, which itself is only a process and a symptom of essentially a dead and compacting soil. And when you've got dead compacting soil, 
it's not exactly going to have a functional water cycle, and that's what that erosion is showing. So essentially compaction is uh, what's going on underneath that is the biggest problem. And why that's a problem is because you have no productivity out of a compacted dead landscape. If, if that's what you've, that's what that area's got, um, there's nothing going to be growing out of that. There's no productivity. There's no energy, um, no life. Now, when I think of compaction, I'm thinking like big trucks or tractors kind of rolling across a landscape and smushing all the soil together, perhaps on a lesser scale livestock or people walking across doing compaction. Is that the main way that these landscapes are becoming compacted? Yeah, kind of, uh, but not really. No, um, look, it's not big, it's not big machines that are necessarily causing it, but look, it could be one thing, that disturbance, um, could happen through a bunch of different ways. Um, you generally, big ones might up here might be a hot fire that bears all that vegetation off. So first things first, it's, it's lost that vegetation, which then stuffs up your soil. Uh, because you've got no roots, no, um, you know, energy or goodies going into the soil to keep it open and functioning. Um, your soil life is what makes, makes space in your soil. And, um, I'll touch on that in a second. It's kind of where I'm going. Um, but essentially you might have a bit of overgrazing, savory style, too long, uh, exposed to grazing. Could also have a combination of that with a big flood from upstream. It's come through, wiped everything off there. Plus, you might have had a fire through there. Might have had a big hot fire that's just absolutely crisped it off to nothing, and it's then got no cover. You've got no ground cover on the ground. Um, and look, that then leaves a bare patch of ground. And in that clay situation, you get something called rainfall compaction. Okay, so this is what I was getting at. So, so really, the the main difference here is whether or not you know. We can have a, a big tractor or something heavy or livestock traveling across ground, but the real difference in the outcome of the compaction will be whether or not how much ground cover there is and what's going on underneath the soil, what's actually living in there. So tell us about rainfall compaction and how that works. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I, the tractor analogy thing, it totally could be a case and that could kill things off, but generally just not something we see up here in the rangelands as much. Yes, uh, well, that, that's yeah, what I was yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. get at. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, you've got a million acres, you're unlikely you're to be driving tractor over. driving your John Deere around, your dear John. No, not everywhere. too much, but, so, you know, some folks, you never yeah. know. So uh, rainfall, we think rainfall is goody-goody, but might be a little bit bad sometimes. Look, the rainfall's fine, just like cattle. There's nothing wrong with um, livestock. They're not the not the issue sometimes it's it's the context around it so rainfall compaction um basically if you imagine yourself as a little drop of rain um i thought this would be a good way to think about it so you come down from the sky and you crash into a bare open patch of ground you have a big old bust up with that ground because you've just smacked into it great spilt your drinks um and what you do is you actually send all the little tiny particles of clay, you send the tiniest guys flying. That's clay particles. Um, and they then land last. They come back to the party last. And as they land, they basically form like a surface of little clay bricks on the top of the ground. Um, now, if you imagine that repeating over a few times, because there's a few raindrops in each, um, se- in each season, um, that gradually builds up that brick layer, essentially. Uh, and because it's bare... It then gets baked by the sun and that forms a bit of a crust. Uh, you can then imagine, um, you know, with it being bare, uh, nothing living is really going to have much of a crack at trying to get into it because it's, 
you know, anything small at least just gets fried. Um, so little bugs and things like that don't have much of a, much of a chance. Um, it also means you're then left with that brick wall for when you, imagining your, the raindrop again, comes down, you know, a couple of years later, a couple of seasons later, you come down and now you hit a big brick wall of clay. Wicked. Um, that's not going to feel great. And you're going to bugger off out of there pretty quick. You're going to run off. Now, when you run off that landscape, you're then getting up a bit of speed and you're going to take any little bits of goodies, uh, said bugs or organic matter, you're going to take them with you and bugger off down the kind of, down the slope, uh, which is going to further that process of leaving that crust bare and exposed. Okay. So when we have an eroded, scalded clay pan with a crust on top and rain comes down, say we have a hundred mils that falls in one event or over a couple of days or whatever. In that scenario, more often than not, the rain is hitting the ground and running off. It's not actually infiltrating into the soil. So that's what you're saying. And what that means is that. (laughs) Is that it's not effective. Yeah, exactly. Steph. (laughs) I I had a word and it was coming, but it's. After lunch, right. guys. It's all right. So, yeah, so you. it's not effective. So when someone says, oh, we've got this much rain or that much rain, you really can't take that at face value because rainfall and effective rainfall are two different things. You could have two neighbours that get the exact same amount of rain, but if their landscapes are different, they'll have a different amount infiltrating. So, Absolutely. That's dead right, Steph. Um, yeah, and look, plants are what manage rainfall in a landscape. So when you don't have any of them, you've got no one holding that rainfall uh, you've got no one making sure that rainfall gets into your soil and you have no effective rainfall. So because of this clay pan and the crust and the way the water runs off it, is that why the option of spelling the country is not the most effective? Because if you were just to lock up that part of country and walk away and let it have a couple of wet seasons worth of rain, really, while it's in that condition and that cycle just keeps repeating itself, a lot of that rain, doesn't matter how long you lock it up for, it's just going to keep running off. And that's why you actually have to have some kind of intervention to try and rebalance that landscape. Yeah, look, absolutely. So that I mentioned that erosion is is a bit of a perpetuating self. That erosion cycle or the the cycle that it's got into is a bit of a self perpetuating um, little beast. Um, now, if you lock it up and just build it, um, look, it might still do something, and it's still an important tool. Um, but essentially. We've got to a stage, uh, taking a few steps back. So we've got to a stage where that landscape's gone down to bare bones, your rock bottom or clay bottom, I should say, um, with no life and no vegetation on it. So it's pretty tricky to probably get that cycle jumping out of that nasty little rat wheel um, by just kind of spelling it alone. So hence this is – so the, the these mechanical interventions of water ponding uh, are really speeding up that process. You are really trying to um, fast track that recovery. Um, that recovery definitely still needs that animal element. You definitely still need your grazing to be managed and worked into that system, and we'll touch on that afterwards. But the the reason why just spelling it alone isn't really necessarily going to get you that far is that you're not actually addressing one of the key underlying problems by just spelling it. Um, so going back to that, it's kind of going back to that first question that you had, what is the actual problem that you're getting to un- underneath the surface, as it were? Um, and that is compaction. Now, compaction 
if we actually go back uh, to the limiting factors of growth, sunlight's first. You got plenty of sunlight on this bare clay pan skull. That's not stopping you. Um, but the second one's air. Plants need to breathe just like us. Uh, they need air for, you know, they need carbon dioxide and um, oxygen to come out and all the rest of it. And with this, then you've got water, then you've got your mineral cycle. Um, now, with uh, the work that I did with Ray, it was really quite, um, it was a big realisation for me when he was talking about his water ponding and how, yeah, the purpose is to A, pond a bit of water, sure, but it's actually to get that infiltration into that clay to then cause that clay to swell up and then shrink, which is what clays do when they absorb a lot of water because they can hold a lot. That busts the clay pan open, forms cracks, opens that clay pan up. That allows air to actually get into that soil. So essentially it's, it's, it's providing that air, which is our, yeah, right up there is probably a, well, it's our number two limit, limit to growth. Um, as Nicole Masters goes through. Um, but with a bit of animal impact, and absolutely animal impact can be used as a really powerful tool to affect that same, you know, you bust up that surface, break it open, put a bit of dung and a bit of biology back on it. But unless you're going to get pretty deep, um, it's not going to really get down into that clay and bust that clay right open like water ponding can. So when you got down to this rock bottom of a bare clay pan skull, you might need to go to this extreme um, to actually get this landscape back into function. All right. So when I think of a water pond, I think, well, like a pond at the park with filled with little ducks. Now I've seen some water ponds and they do not, I think the word is a little bit, it's not like your regular park pond. So can you describe what a water pond looks like and sort of how, yeah, I guess how you build one and how, how it looks? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's not quite a little duck pond. Um, so the intervention is, as you said, mechanical built um, bank. So it's a, uncompacted, but it's a bank of, uh, of soil. So you're, you're cutting up the actual clay pan, throwing that material up into banks um, that are shaped kind of like a horseshoe uh, or potentially a circle. And I'll touch on that, but their banks, they're about half a metre high, a bit over, and about two metres wide at the base. You want a pretty hefty, solid um, little bank. Um, and the idea is that it holds about 10 centimetres of water. And Steph, this is important because of how I'm going to describe these horseshoes. So the bottom of the horseshoe, if you imagine the horseshoe is like a little um, bucket on the landscape, and the bottom of the bucket, the bottom of the horseshoe, is on a contour. Now that's on contour and then the top of the horseshoe or the opening of the horseshoe is on the higher contour that is 10 centimetres higher up. So that creates a, a little form that holds um, tops of 10 centimetres of water because as the rain falls, it's, it's, it stays in that little pond, stays in that little horseshoe and any more than 10 centimetres at the base will then spill out of the top if you can imagine that so it looks like kind of scales fish scales across a landscape that's um on lands land that's kind of quite uh low sloping which is what water ponding's for if you're over about point uh go into the slopes later but if you're on more sloping country you need to go to um water spreading but this is on pretty low um low slope country and if it's really low slope ray actually does a circle so it's just a, a bank that kind of encircles um, a little patch 
They're about an acre, so about 0.4 of a hectare um, in size, generally about that size depending on the slope um, and the landscape. Uh, And, yeah, it's just holding the rainfall that falls on that area. So we've got these horseshoe-shaped fish scales kind of across the landscape and what you're saying is that the bottom end or like, you know, the U bit is a little bit deeper than the top bit, but at its, at, depending on how big it is, but at its deepest, it'll be about 10 centimetres. So we're not really holding, it's not like a dam or a weir or anything. We're not holding up bucket loads of water. We're just holding quite small amounts really, like in terms of the depth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so it's tops of 10 centimetres of water depth is held by these banks. As I said, they're about half a metre high when you, build them because they're they're not a permanent bank they're just a bit of kind of material thrown up to kind of hold that water initially and a lot of that will obviously kind of a lot of that loose material will settle a bit um but you're only holding 10 centimeters at the bottom there um and as i said so essentially that level of the ground if you think the the bottom level of the ground between the low point and the high point there's only a difference of 10 centimeters so any more than 10 centimeters at the bottom and it's just like it's essentially going to fill up and that water will be, you know, across that whole pond. So the whole horseshoe will be full of water essentially. And it'll only be, you know, millimetres deep at the top where it then spills out and 10 centimetres deep at the bottom, if that makes sense. So then it spills and it bywashes, which naturally kind of slows that down because it's going to move around. And so when this water is accumulated in the pond and being held, what is, how is that actually helping the landscape? Yeah, look, so I was, um, wanted to go into it a bit, uh, before, but essentially by holding, and this is what Ray will, uh, talk about at depth, but by holding that water, you're, you're interrupting that, uh, erosional cycle. You're holding that water up. You're forcing it to infiltrate into those clays forces the clays to shrink and sweat to swell up with the water and then it shrinks and by doing that it busts it open because clays hold a lot of water and then they shrink and that change in volume opens them up they've got those cracks in them so next time you're out on a clay pan you know if you can see big cracks in the ground awesome that means it's kind of functional because water can actually get in air can get in and therefore things can grow roots can grow uh, seeds get held Stuff loves it. Uh, so you actually get a bit of producti- productivity. And as I said, um, Nicole Masters' little uh, limits to growth. you got your sunlight, that's fine, but you need your air is second. Um, and without that in that clay pan, uh, it's dead and nothing's going to grow. So essentially water ponding is bringing soils back to life. Oh, exactly. Which is the name of, the, of one of the projects you're working on, which we'll put all the links in the show notes because this is a very – very short and sweet, broad strokes explanation of water ponding. That's what Cuddle Station Classroom is, just uh, just the gist. Yeah, Not to steal awesome. the name of another great podcast out there. Now, just to wrap us up, can you just very briefly go over some other interventions just so we can have – just plant the seeds in our mind and we'll come back and do another episode on those another time. But just to let people know, obviously, water ponding is one tool in a toolbox. That's the reason we have a whole tool, toolbox, though, is that depending on the situation – You may need, you know, one day you might need a hammer, another day you might need a spanner, then you might need a, I don't know, a a, a saw, (laughs) another tool. So different tools for different situations. Absolutely, Steph. So just recapping, water ponding is is really specifically for clay pans. As I said, it really needs that clay soil for it to work and get that shrink swell 
and bust open that clay. It's also for low sloping country. So it's not for big slopes. It's for country that's less than about 0.3% slope. Um, getting a little bit detailed here. Um, about 3% slope, 0.3% slope. Um, and anything over that, uh, you'd want something called water spreading. And there's all these kind of contour banks and things like that, which are other rehydration interventions that you can use. Um, with all these rehydration tools, so there's things like, um, you know, check banks and woe boys even for, for, um, for your roads, uh, water ponding, water spreading. Um, you need to be conscious that you start in the top of the catchment. You've got to treat that catchment as a whole. Um, we are putting up earth banks in this case, and uh, that's not going to hold a lot of runoff. Um, it's not intended to, so just be mindful of that and any other earthen banked kind of rehydration things. Um, but look, another thing to say on that is that at the end of the day, you're intervening with that water cycle to try and kick that system back into life. Um, and yeah, look, uh, your animal impact that, um, thanks, that's a key savory tool. Uh, and the grazing is another really important tool to consider in this toolbox. Uh, we found it was absolutely essential to have that spelling alongside this rehydration work. So just keeping in mind that sometimes you need a spanner and a screwdriver for that job or, you know, um, you need to have more than one tool in the toolbox. Um, and look, that was, that was foundational to Again, if you actually observe and look at what you're trying to do, you're trying to recover that landscape, um, you need to let the plants grow, but then you do also need that grazing, absolutely, to come in and cycle that material, um, get that biology going, especially in our dry landscapes. So there's a couple of notes just to flag there. Um, and look, we I really thank the West Kimberley LCDC for having me on that project and thanks National Land Care Program. It was a smart farm grant um, to do that work hopefully get out there again and see how it's all been going in the last couple of years. Um, but essentially, yeah, keep in mind that's kind of grazing needs to be worked around it. Uh, spelling needs to be worked around it. Um, and I've forgotten what I was going to say. Ah, the video. Yes, we did a video on how to construct them. Um, so check it out on YouTube um, through Future Beef. There's a few more details there and there was a podcast, uh, not a podcast, sorry, a webinar, not as cool as this, um, that was on it for a bit more information. So you can hear the big man Ray talk about it as well. (music) 